Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. We have two passages of scripture, familiar ones, that we're going to be reading from. The first one is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Reading out the New King James. And also, if you want to, you can put your finger on another uh, passage of scripture in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. And what's amazing is, um, as we are in this place right now, we have a number of people watching via Facebook and YouTube. Come on, can we thank God for those that are streaming online right now? And um, what's awesome is that, you know, maybe you missed last week's message. You can actually go to our YouTube channel. I believe we're close to 1,000 subscribers on there right now. Be, be able to, uh, you can go on there, subscribe, and you can listen back to last week's message. But even if it's your first time for this series, I believe that God's going to speak to you today. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is from the Apostle Paul. He writes to the Roman church. He says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Can somebody say that with me? A living sacrifice. Oh, come on. You guys got to wake up today. I know this is 1130s. Can we say it again? A living sacrifice. There we go. There we go. Holy, acceptable to God, which is what? Your reasonable service. Living sacrifice. Let's go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 25. And these are the words of Jesus. He says this. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Somebody say daily. And follow me. Get this. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? This morning, the subtitle, the topic we're going to be talking about is this, simple. A living sacrifice. How you and I are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice before God. Come on, can we pray together right now in this moment? Can we just welcome him into this place? He's already here right now. Can we welcome him to our hearts, Lord Jesus? We prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive your uh, word, God. We receive it right now, Lord God. We just pray right now. We thank you, Lord, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but it's your word, Lord, that that stands forever, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that there's power in your word. We thank you, Lord. It's not going to fall on hard hearts. We're not going to allow the enemy to come in and take it. We're not going to allow the world and the things in this world to choke it out, but it's going to fall on good soil, and we're going to see, God, produce. We're going to see growth in our lives, Lord. Have your way today. I pray that there would be an anointing in this place, Lord. Speak to your people in Jesus' name, and if you believe that, can somebody say amen? Come on, can somebody say amen? Come on, can you go ahead and give Jesus an ovation of praise and worship in this place? Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you for standing. This past year, y'all, this past year, a childhood dream of mine was fulfilled. And uh, that was going to a place, some of you may have heard of it, going to a place called Disney World. Now, I'm in my 20s, y'all, you know, just being honest, but the little kid inside of me was jumping, right, whenever I got told from my wife and her family that I had the opportunity to go, and I had high expectations and everything. My my wife had been a number of times growing up, but, but I had never went. Before And as the days got closer and closer, I got excited about going to the happiest place 
on earth. Anybody ever heard that before? The happiest place on earth. That's what Disney calls it, at least. And when the day finally arrived, y'all, I, I got to the park with them and, and her family, and as we were fixing to walk into the park, I had my Mickey Mouse ears on and everything. You can imagine, it, too small for my head, y'all, just being all looked so funny. And, and walking in, about to go through the admission and scan everything or whatever, then a lady is walking with her baby in her arms. And what ends up happening, she ends up dropping her sunglasses. So me just trying to do the nice and considerate thing, y'all, I, I reach down to pick up her sunglasses and hand them back to her. And I kid you not, as soon as I reach down and touch her sunglasses, I hear this loud tear from behind me. Y'all, my pants ripped from top to bottom at the happiest place on earth. Y'all, and I'm, I'm telling you what, I probably scared a little kid or scarred a little kid or something. It was so bad, y'all, I could feel the breeze. That's all I'm saying. And my wife, my wife didn't cover me up. Oh, my gosh, honey, no. She just lost it laughing. And you can imagine how embarrassed I felt, y'all, walking around, waiting in line. Thank God they had some overpriced stretchy pants at the park that I bought and stuff. And I needed those stretchy pants. Let me tell you why. Because they say you walk 12, an average of 12 miles a day at Disney. And there's literally crowds upon crowds of people. They say 30 to 60,000 people at any given day at one of the parks. And most of the time, if we're being honest, we're not in the ride. We're waiting in line, standing there. And won't forget this one time I was standing in line, and I heard this man getting into an argument with his wife and his children. He said, I can't believe that you're doing this. We're here at Disney. It's supposed to be a happy place. And he get into an argument. And in that moment, I was thinking to myself, this place is anything but the happiest place on earth right now. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, like, the rides and everything, cool. Seeing the castle and the fireworks, awesome. I'm so thankful I had the opportunity to go. But I don't know if I would call that place the happiest place on earth. In fact, pe people actually have a, a name for the experience that I just mentioned. They actually call it this, the Disney paradox. Because what they will do is they will experience all the things that I just mentioned. But then afterwards, just remember the peak and the high moments, and they'll come back year after year. It's funny because I actually came across an article online from a very well-known and world-renowned travel agency. They posted an article online. It was a blog post. It said, the top 10 happiest places to vacation and visit in the world. Guess what place did not make that list? Disneyland or Disney World. Think about that. The happiest place on earth didn't make the list for the happiest places to visit. You know what we call that? A contradiction an oxymoron, a paradox, right? And the reason I open up with that story and give you that example and share that with you is because you need to understand that as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus and as you begin to open up and read and study the word of God, you'll discover, y'all, that there will be times in your life where God will encourage you to do something or even to be something that on the surface seems like a contradiction or it seems like a paradox, and it may not make sense to you, but who knows that if God says something, God knows what he's talking about. Now, you may not know what I mean by paradox, but let me give you a working definition for the word paradox. Check this out real quick. It says this, a paradox, a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Let me give you an example of a paradox statement, okay? I've heard it said like this before. The more 
that I learn, the more I realize how little I actually know. I'll say that one more time. The more that I learn, the more I realize how little I know. Has anybody ever been there before? As you've gotten older, you may have gotten that degree. You may have learned this or that. But then you realize, man, I really, I feel like I know less compared to, like, I've been exposed to all these different things, right? You know, the other day, my, my wife, Brooklyn, she told me this. She said, Caleb, you are a loud whisperer. And I'll be honest, I, I'm, a, I'm just a loud person, I think, right? She said, you're a loud whisperer. But think about that. Those two words, right? Loud whisper. Couldn't be more opposite. They contradict one another, but who knows that that still doesn't mean that the statement or the phrase is invalid or true. For example, let me give you another word. Jumbo shrimp. Oh, come on, somebody. I know it's the first day of the fast right now. Just fight the urge to go to Dockside after this, y'all. That's my crawfish and jumbo, I mean, jumbo shrimp. Let me, let me give you another example. You know, I'll go as far as to say it like this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. That when you think about God, that he himself can be considered a paradox. Think about it, because the Bible says that he is the alpha and the omega, that he is the beginning and the end. He is the first and he's the last, that he is both justice and he's mercy. And I'm not just talking about any God. I'm talking about the only true everlasting God, and his name is Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something? If paradox was a person, it would be Jesus. Think about this. Even the way that Jesus came into the world, he came into the world through what? The virgin birth. Virgin birth. Virgin birth. He was born to die. He was fully God and fully man. He was 100% man, but also 100% God. He was humanity and divinity wrapped into one. He was full of grace, and he's also full of truth. See, you got to understand this as a believer and follower of Jesus, because you got to understand that your life as a Christian, it is full of paradoxes. We just opened up with one from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus said this. He said, if anybody wants to follow after me, deny themselves, pick up the cross daily, because whoever desires, get this, whoever desires to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. That's a paradox, right? It was Jesus who also said, whoever humbles themselves will be exalted, but whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. It was Jesus who said, the first will be last, the last will be first, the greatest among you will be them who is servant of all. It was Jesus who said, give and it will be given unto you. It was Jesus who said, whatever you do in private, God will reward you openly. It was the apostle Paul who wrote, he said, whatever gain I had, I consider it as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. It was him who also wrote, for whenever I am weak, therefore I am strong. That's a paradox. That may seem like a contradiction, but can I tell you, all those statements are true. It's the word of God. See, that's why some theologians have actually called the kingdom of God this. They've called the kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom because the kingdom of God operates many times contrary and opposite to how the world that we live in operates today. And let me tell you something real quick. Those paradoxes and those, anybody tracking this morning, this making sense to somebody? What you, get, what you put into something is what you'll get out of it. That's all I'm saying. If you want to catch this word, 
Think of it like this. These paradoxes that I mentioned was, was never meant to perplex us or confuse us. You know what they were meant to do? They were meant to open up your eyes for you to be able to compare what happens from an earthly perspective compared to what happens in a heavenly perspective. In other words, can I tell you, something can look one way in the physical, but completely opposite in the spiritual, even though they happen to us and we experience it at the exact same time. Which brings me back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul, he is writing to the Roman church, and I encourage you when you get a chance during this fast, read the book of Romans. It is so rich. It is said to be one of the best explanations of the gospels of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, he dives deep in the first 11 chapters into the wrath of God, into the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and how we are saved by grace through faith. But then after he mentions all those things, what he does is he takes a sharp turn, and we find him say a phrase and a statement that we don't find anywhere else in Scripture. What he says is this. He said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. A living, somebody say living, sacrifice. Which to even to, even to people at that time, can I tell you something? That would have been an odd phrase. To say living sacrifice, because get this, by definition, a sacrifice isn't living. A sacrifice implies death. See, that's why the, see, that was a paradoxical or a, a t- statement that was an oxymoron that he mentioned. Because get this, up until that point, in the Old Testament, God only accepted dead sacrifices. Some of you remember last Sunday where Pastor Bobby, we talked about Abraham, Father Abraham, right? And God told him, I want you to take Isaac. I want you to take him up Mount Moriah. I want you to offer him as a sacrifice unto me. He was, had his knife in hand, fixing to bring it down the dagger, pierce his son, and kill him as a dead sacrifice unto God. But then God speaks and says, no, Abraham. It was a test for him. And he said, look at the thicket. There's a ram. In other words, it's a mature lamb in the thicket. I want you to take that and offer it as a dead sacrifice unto me. And who knows that that lamb was pointing to Jesus Christ, the lamb who would be slaughtered on the foundations of the world. See, the, John the Baptist even said, behold, this is Jesus who has come as a lamb to take away the sins of the Anybody thankful for the price that Jesus Christ has paid on the cross over 2,000 years ago? But before Jesus Christ, get this, before Jesus ever became our ultimate sacrifice, God only accepted dead sacrifices. That's why underneath the system and the law within the Old Testament, people would continually bring turtle doves and they would bring lambs to present them to the priest. And the priest would do what? They would take the animals, they would kill and slaughter the animals. The wages of sin is death. A price had to be paid and they would apply the blood as a dead sacrifice unto God. Anybody thankful we don't have to kill animals and raise them up like they used to back then because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for us. But then guess what? The Apostle Paul says it like this in the book of Romans. He said, since you are no longer under the law, God isn't expecting a, he doesn't deserve a death sacrifice. Now God deserves a living sacrifice. Oh, come on, somebody. He deserves a living sacrifice. 
It was a paradox. It seemed like it, it was completely different than what he was saying because up until that point, all he was accepting, all God was accepting was dead sacrifice. See, the first point I want to tell you this morning is this, that your life, that you are meant to be a living sacrifice unto God. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, it is our reasonable service. It's the most logical response when we think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, that we are meant. Somebody say, I am meant to be a living sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying for you to go home, punch yourself, beat yourself up, torture yourself, come to church with black eyes, I'm a living sacrifice. You know, that's, that's not what we're saying, okay? See, and that is not to say that there weren't Christians who have been severely persecuted and become martyrs and literally died for the sake of the gospel. Throughout history, y'all, there have been Christians that have been crucified. They've been burnt at the stake. They've been killed in the Colosseum by lions. Even the Apostle Paul himself, he was beheaded by the Emperor Nero, which would have been considered a merciful death because since he was a Roman citizen, he could be beheaded rather than crucified. But then, the, but then Jesus, don't forget, he told his disciples this. He said, if you want to follow after me, you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow after me. See, many of us, many of us, when we think about crosses, we think about the thing on our neck. That somebody, we have a cross on our T-shirt. You know, we have the necklace and everything. But can I tell you something? I don't think the disciples would have wore that apparel back then. Because for us, it represents hope. It represents life. It represents what Jesus Christ has done. But whenever they heard Jesus say cross, you know what they thought of immediately? Crucifixion. Death. It was an instrument of execution that Jesus would eventually carry, that he would be hung upon and die a gruesome death. But how is that relevant to me and you today when it comes to following after him in our Western context? This is what I believe for us today. He, he said this, how could we do that daily? He said, do it daily. This is what I believe that Jesus was saying. He was saying, if you want to follow after me, if you want to be one of my disciples, you have to learn how to fully surrender and die and deny to yourself and your flesh and your own ambitions in order to follow after me. You have to learn how to deny and die to self. That's why the apostle Paul wrote, he said this, he said, I die to myself daily. That's why the Apostle Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That's a paradox. Because there's nothing but life found in Jesus, but then after we accept Jesus, guess what? We are called to be a living sacrifice and die to ourself and die to our flesh. Think about that. Because here's the reality. Salvation is free. But following Jesus will cost you something. That discipleship demands sacrifice. Following Jesus was never meant to be something that we do part-time and it's a hobby we do on the weekends. Following Jesus wasn't meant to be just a, a weekend fling. Following after Jesus was meant to be a daily, lifelong, 24-7, 365 commitment where we are committed and devoted fully, 100% to him as a living sacrifice because it is our reasonable service. He's not looking for a dead sacrifice. He is looking for a living sacrifice. He is looking for somebody that will come to him and say, Lord, every part of my body, my spirit has been saved. I'm going to heaven, but Lord, no, I don't want to just stop there. Even my soul and my mind 
mind and my body, from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, to every single finger, to every part of who I am. I belong fully unto you. Have your way in my life. I present my body as a living sacrifice. With that in mind, let's go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said this, I beseech you. In other words, I implore you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So what the Apostle Paul was saying was this, that when you begin to think about and you begin to receive the mercy, the goodness, the grace and the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid himself, the most reasonable thing that me and I, you and I can do, the least that you and I can do is to present our bodies back as a living sacrifice unto God. Because let me remind you, if it wasn't for Jesus, you would have no hope, no future, no life. We'd be on our way straight to hell. But thanks be to God for his grace and mercy in our lives. And if God gave his all for you, how much more should we give our all back unto him? So this is what I believe a living sacrifice looks like. I believe a living sacrifice looks like this. When we come to God dead to ourself, dead to our flesh, dead to our agenda, dead to our own plans for the future. See, a living sacrifice does not come up to God like this with a contract in hand saying, Lord, you needed to do this. I need to live here. I need to have this car. I need to have this house. I need to do, I need, I need you to meet these requests and these stipulations. And when you do all these different things, Lord, then I'll decide to follow after you. That's not what it means to be a living sacrifice. You want to know what a living sac sacrifice looks like? When you hand God a blank sheet of paper, sign your name at the bottom and say, Lord, this is for you to fill out. This life doesn't even belong to me. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Because if I'm being honest, God, I wouldn't even be here today in my right mind if it wasn't for your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your love in my life. And because you've been so, and because I've been purchased by the blood, and it is no longer my body, but I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I've been bought for a high price. Lord, whatever it is, have your way in my life. Burn everything else out that is not of you. Lord, use me wherever you need to use me, Lord. I want your will to be done. Can I tell you something? Hell gets nervous when a Christian and believer approaches God in that way. The devil gets nervous when a Christian comes to God saying, Lord, I come to you as a living sacrifice because God wants all of you. All of you. Somebody say all of me. All of me. See, guess the Bible did not say Come to God and present yourself as a living offering. Said a living sacrifice. Not just 40% of you, 50%, all of you. Because you know there's a difference between an offering and a sacrifice? I don't know if you ever heard this story before. It reminds me of the story of the chicken and the pig. There was a chicken and this pig that lived on a farm, and they wanted to do something nice for the farmer, y'all. So one day, they get together and say, let's make a nice breakfast for the farmer. And the chicken says, yeah, let's do, let's, let's, let's do it. Let, he said, I'll bring the eggs. You bring the bacon. <laughs> and the pig responds, but okay, there's only one problem with that. 
What you're doing, that's an offering. But in order for me to do that, that's a sacrifice. Can I tell you something? God isn't asking for an egg. God is asking for bacon. He's not asking for an offering. He's asking for a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, where you come unto him and say, Lord, I give myself fully over to you in every area and compartment in my heart and in my life. My body doesn't even belong to me. That's a living sacrifice, and that's what a lot of Christians don't do. They feed their flesh. See, you know what? That's why I believe, that's why we believe that fasting, y'all, fasting is one of the best ways to deny yourself, die to yourself, humble yourself, and present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. It's one of the most powerful practices that we can do as believers. Maybe you've never done a fast before. Let me tell you what a fast is. A fast is when you begin to abstain and stay away from certain foods, from, from maybe even certain things in forms of entertainment or social media or whatever for a certain amount of time for a spiritual reason where you allow your hungers and your cravings and, and desires to be changed where you don't just hunger after the things of this world, but you begin to hunger after the things of God. Amen. See, many people, many people, see, because here's the reality, whatever you starve dies, but whatever you feed thrives. And many people, y'all, they are constantly spoon-feeding their flesh. They're giving into every desire that they feel in their feeling and in their emotion, but yet their spirit is starving. There has to be a change in the shift. I want to take a shift right now. Because what we need to do during this time of prayer and fasting, it's going to be close, it's going to be getting closer to Jesus. But as and this is another paradox statement I want to give you is this. As you begin to fast, here's what will begin to happen. That fasting increases your spiritual weight. Fasting increases your spiritual weight. This is the second point I want to give you to guys this morning. Anybody receiving this word today? Now, I know this may sound like a paradox because many of us, you know what we do? We associate fasting with losing weight. And yes, you do weight, lose weight in the physical. And let me remind you that, like, when you pray and whenever you fast without prayer and Bible reading, it's not a fast. It's a diet, right? Like I mentioned earlier, the purpose of it is to be able to deny and die to self while at the same time simultaneously feeding your spirit. It's when we decide to deny and die to our flesh, our carnality, and even, guess what, our sinful nature. See, because many people, what they do is they immediately give into their flesh, their feelings, their appetites, and different sins, and there's no type of resistance, and there's no type of self-control. If they want to eat a triple meat burger and a gallon of ice cream at midnight, they go do it, not even thinking about it, right? They want to go get drunk, go do it. They want to go get high, they'll do it. No resistance, no self-control. They want to go to that website again, they'll do it. They want to lie again, they want to get back into that toxic relationship, they'll do it. And they're feeding their flesh 
Meanwhile, their spirit is starving for something so much more. And here's the problem with feeding your flesh. You can feed your flesh all the time. Your flesh will never be satisfied. Your flesh will always continually want more and more and more, and you'll begin to find your life in ruin. Meanwhile, God is saying, if you just die to your flesh and give it and offer it unto me, and there's going to be seasons and times in your life where you're going to do that, you can find fulfillment and joy and peace, and you can experience me. I'm telling you what, there is power in fasting, offering your body as a living sacrifice unto God. And can I tell you something? This is another paradox. I believe that as you deny and die to yourself, I believe that you'll experience a life like you've never experienced before. Because can I tell you what will begin to happen as you begin to pray and as you begin to fast? Yes, you will feel more light in the physical, but in the spirit, you will feel heavy. You'll begin to walk at another spiritual boldness, boldness that you've never walked in before. You'll be more sharp in the spirit. In the, and let me tell you something. Fasting does not change God's will in your life. You know what it does? It aligns you with God's will in your life. You'll become more sensitive to his presence. You'll become more sensitive to his spirit. And it doesn't, I'm not saying it changes your spiritual worth. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags unto God. It doesn't change your spiritual worth, but it makes you more aware of his righteousness and authority that you have in your life. The Apostle Paul says like this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Worst team, you can go ahead and come up. He said this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, and he said, And those who are Christ have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So guess what he said? He said, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. There's some people who are alive in the Spirit, but they're not walking in the Spirit. They're walking in the flesh. They're walking to their feelings. They're giving in to everything that they feel right away. And sometimes it starts with food, and it carries over to all these different things in our lives. And we, we, our flesh gets out of control, and we don't know what to do. And we have all these things that come up, yet God is saying, deny yourself daily. Pick up your cross. Follow after me. I have a life for you. I can work through you. I can use you. But you got to deny yourself. And that could be tough and hard for many of us to hear. And get this. You can't cast out your flesh. Oh, we, we, you can cast out demons. And guess what? We've casted out demons here before, too. It's real. The spiritual world is real. God is real. We do not battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness. But can I tell you something? You can't cast out your flesh. Guess what has to happen? You have to crucify your flesh and choose and decide to walk in the power of of the Holy Spirit in your family, at your school. Teenagers, God can use you at your school. You do not have to give in to every peer pressure and every feeling and try to please everybody else. God can use you and anoint you. You can be led by the Holy Spirit. What would happen if we decided as you feel led as a church during these next few days, maybe for some of you, it's your first time you're just cutting out sugar. 
you're just cutting out this, but you don't just cut out something, but you begin to substitute and replace it, and you say, God, give me a new desire. Give me new cravings. God, I, I want to I be, be in your, I believe that during this season, y'all, we're going to see deliverance take place through this church like never before. We're going to see the power of God touch and minister people. It's going to be amazing. Can I tell you something real quick? Don't get me wrong. A fast, it can be hard at times, right? It's not always easy. Temptations are going to arise. And even though it's a fast, the days are going to feel slow at times. But when those feelings and things, because many times what happens when people fast and they stay away from certain things, sometimes things that have been underneath the surface for a long time begin to swell up and that depression comes or that anxiety comes and the things in their flesh come up and this, this urge and this desire, I got to get, I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I have to go back to that site. I got to do this. Let me tell you what you do when you feel that. It's okay. It's your flesh. Don't go back to that thing. Bring it to the feet of Jesus. Lay it before him and say, Lord, I give myself as a living sacrifice unto you. Every part, when's the last time that we did that? Last night I, I was doing that here. And I was like, man, when's the last time I did that? Where I just humble myself before God and say, Lord, I present my body as a living sacrifice. It's the least that I can do. It's the least that I can do. You've done so much more for me. Even when I've been bad and I was caught up in this and caught up in that, your mercy and your grace was there. You never gave up on me. You love me, Lord. I want to give myself over to you, Lord, in my life. You know, I'm reminded of what Jesus experienced and what he walked through. Because the scripture says, that after Jesus was water baptized, the scripture says that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to pray and fast for 40 days. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, God in fast. Because yes, he was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And he had that side where, where, guess what? After the 40 days, he went there, he was tempted by the devil. And the scripture says that after 40 days, get this, it says he was hungry. Like, no duh, right? I'll be, some of you were hungry after four days, right? Four hours, you know? So anybody in here, I need to have a meal. I need to have three meals a day. You know, I've heard it. Brooklyn, okay, so just kidding. He was tempted. See, what happens is after, when, after the 40 days, just the, the enemy, Satan, came, and he tempted him. And what did he tempt him with? He said, if you truly are the son of God, turn these stones into bread which I think is a paradox within itself because Jesus, the bread of life, was hungry. And he said, turn these stones into bread. And isn't it interesting how the first temptation that Jesus is ever presented with is with food? And the first sin that man ever committed in the Garden of Eden was with what? Food. So what he does is this. Jesus responds with this. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, he was saying, devil, you've messed with the wrong one. Because during this time, it may look like I was fasting, but I was actually feasting in the spirit. And right now, I may look weak 
in the physical, but in the spiritual, I'm in a whole nother weight class. You have no part of me. I have more power and authority inside of me. See, Jesus was at a whole nother level. And he tried to tempt him and tempt him again. And then that's why Jesus, get this, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and he came down from, from, from the Mount, it says that his disciples couldn't cast out a demon from a little boy. The boy would throw himself into the fire, and, but then Jesus, he comes, he rebukes the spirit, the spirit leaves him, and then Jesus said, some, he, said he, had, he said this, he said, this kind, one of the things he said was this, this kind only comes out by what? Prayer and fasting. Because he paid the price. He walked at level. Can I tell you something real quick? I want to read the scripture to you as we come to close. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. Anybody receive this word this morning? Luke chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, it says this. Now when the devil, get this, this is after Jesus is tempted. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus returned, guess what, say with this with me, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The scripture says that after this moment, he leaves in the power of the Spirit, and he's being glorified by all. By all. And can I tell you something? This is why I love God. Jesus didn't keep that power just to himself. He gave it to his disciples. He said, I've given you authority, and I've given you power. And can I tell you something? You have power in your life. Jesus has given you power in your life that you can walk in the Spirit, that you have the power and authority. And can I tell you something? It's not so that way you could be glorified. It's so that way Jesus could be glorified, that in the name of Jesus you can speak to demonic spirits and command them to go, that in the name of Jesus you can see addictions and generational curses broken, that in the name of Jesus, you can see healing and deliverance and salvation in your family. But here's what many of us do. Sometimes, many times, what gets in the way is ourself. That our greatest enemy and my greatest enemy is my enemy. My flesh, my carnality. That's why during this time, can you imagine what can happen if we just decided to fast, put away certain things, come to God as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, have your way and crucify the flesh. Here's my last point I want to leave you with. When your flesh is crucified, God is glorified. Oh, come on, somebody. I said, when your flesh is crucified, God is glorified. I wonder if before we leave this place this Sunday morning, if we can just present our body this morning, maybe you've never done this before, but right now in this moment, as we begin to sing it out, can we just begin to worship? The Bible says, give God a sacrifice of praise from your lips, that your words and your praise is a sacrifice unto God. Come on, in this moment, can we just raise our hands? Can we surrender right now? 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.